This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. a ton of football on today's show. The NFL season kicks off tomorrow with the Cowboys and Bucks. And now that we're inside four days from the Panthers kicking it off in Charlotte, I wanted to talk about who I believe the single most important player Carolina should be looking to neutralize is. Historically, that's what Bill Belichick's made a career out of doing, both as a DC and a head coach. Identifying an opposing player and completely taking him away. And you might think for the Jets, it's pretty simple. On offense, it's Zach Wilson. On defense, it's either C.J. Mosley or Quinnen Williams. But I don't think it's those guys. I actually think, as crazy as it might sound, it's tailback Tevin Coleman. If the name sounds familiar, and you're a Panther fan, well, it should. Tevin's been a bit of a Panther killer the last handful of years. Two years ago, he was a 49er. He rushed for 105 yards and three touchdowns. The year before that, he was an Atlanta Falcon, where he spent the first four or five years of his career. 107 yards against Carolina in 18. Uh, You look at five years ago even. 90 yards on nine carries a touchdown. He's averaged at least five yards per carry in five of the eight games he's played against Carolina. So he's had a lot of success at Bank of America Stadium. He's had success against the Panthers. And he should be the go-to back for the Jets. I look at the early injury report, and I see Michael Carter's on it, the former Tar Heels questionable. LaMichael Pirine, the former, I believe, Oklahoma Sooner. He's on the injury report. So it's going to be a lot of Tevin Coleman. And the reason he should be the focus is because this is Zach Wilson's debut. He's a rookie. It's his first start. And the strategy should be, let the rookie QB beat you. Let the rookie QB take over the game. See if he's capable of doing it. He could be without Jamison Crowder, the former Blue Devil. He tested positive for COVID last week, but unlike John Miller, was vaccinated, so... After five days, they're going to reevaluate it. Robert Salo, the head coach, said there's a chance he will be able to return for Sunday's game, but his status is certainly up in the air. You look at some of these other receivers. Was it Keelan Cole, Robert, pretty good for the Jacksonville Jaguars? Yeah, he was just a guy, deep threat guy. He got a lot of numbers because they were playing from behind, so a lot of garbage numbers, garbage touchdowns, that sort of thing. Corey Davis looks like a pretty good pickup from Tennessee. They didn't pick up the fifth-year option after he was drafted in the top 10, and the Jets signed him as a free agent. It's better weapons than Sam Darnold ever had to deal with in New York. But without Jamison Crowder, I actually like how the Carolina corners match up, and my approach would be trying to stop the run. I think Carolina's pass rush is going to be very good. Matt Rule said that Brian Burns is a rare talent earlier today. He just said that in the last hour or so. It's the run defense I have some concerns about. So Carolina's approach needs to be, let's shut down the run and see if Zach Wilson can beat you. And if Zach goes for 350 yards and three touchdowns, we'll tip our hat to him. We really will. We'll tip our cap. If that's what you're able to do, boy, did you earn it. But I doubt Zach Wilson's going to be capable to do that. Game one, as a rookie, with a head coach in his first game as a head coach at any level. That's what the approach needs to be. There's an element to Zach's game where there's some hero ball and he might force the ball down the field. Let him do that. And a good way you can put the Jets in a tough position is if you get off to a good start and get an early lead. Sam Darnold. I want to see him send a message. We all have been overlooked by our employer. I'm sure we've all felt that way. Our boss, they don't appreciate us enough. But it's never quite as brazen as it can be in sports, as cutthroat as it can be. Where, hey, we're just going to cut you now. 
we're going to let you go or we're going to trade you away because we don't think you're good enough. We're going to draft your replacement. And then the first game, that replacement's going to be playing you and they're going to keep score. Imagine if we had that in everyday life. I feel marginalized. I feel overlooked. And now I get to go head-to-head with that boss and there's a scoreboard somehow in the world of radio or in accounting or in whatever field that you're in. Sam has that opportunity to prove to the Jets that they were wrong to trade him away and to send a message early on. If they get a 7-point, 10-point lead in the game early, then the crowd gets into it. You get away from the run game. You get away from Tevin Coleman. And it's more Zach Wilson, more of a load than he has to carry than I'm sure the Jets want him to. On Twitter, at WSGS Sports, if you want in on today's show, who do you think the primary person the Carolina Panthers need to be keyed in on? As crazy as it sounds, I think it is Tevin Coleman. 336-777-1600 be in the phone number. Let's shift to college. NC State's getting set for Mississippi State Saturday night. And that's a game. If NC State wins it, they should be taken very seriously. In ACC circles, sure, but I'm talking maybe nationally as well. This is not an overreaction either. It'd be a historic road win. NC State, I might have said this earlier, hasn't won an SEC road game since 1977. That was at Auburn before Pat Dye arrived, when Ruffin McNeil was a sophomore playing for Pat Dye at ECU. And this is a game they can get. It's very winnable. They're favored in the game by two and a half points. And the reason that is, Mississippi State was down by a ton to another former ECU coach and Skip Holtz. Probably should have lost the game. They rallied all the way back to win 35-34. It's the greatest comeback in Mississippi State history. Mike Leach also has authored the greatest comebacks in the history of Texas Tech and Washington State. He's been around at a lot of different places. This is a game they can get. NC State, I think, is the better team. But it's being played in Stark Vegas. It would require some consistency. See, the thing that surprised me the most I was surprised NC State left no doubt with the win against South Florida. Robert, you know NC State fans. You know how they think to a degree, how the pack is always looking around the corner and wondering when the worst is going to happen. We suck. That never happened against USF. They scored early and often, and they never stopped, and they never gave up a point. They shut out the Bulls. In the American Athletic Conference, they won by a ton. It was one of the most impressive wins to open a season that Dave Doran's had at State, and this is his ninth year. I believe Dave has been circling this season with the recruiting classes he's put together, thinking he has an opportunity. With guys like Drake Thomas and Peyton Wilson, and offensively some of these pieces, wide receivers and running backs that you have that are coming back, he feels pretty good about what he has. Certainly in the trenches on offense, there's some questions there trying to replace Elam McNeil on defense. It would require some consistency for them to win. It gives me what State did last week. Some faith that maybe NC State's stuff isn't going to make an appearance Saturday at 7 o'clock. It's going to be on ESPN2. A lot of eyes are going to be on this game. And if State wins it, as I said, they should be taken seriously in a national sense. Do me a favor, Robert. Just give me the top 25 games that are set to happen the weekend of September 25th. Just pull those games up. ESPN does a great job of labeling it with the top 25 teams there. Saturday, September 25th. Some of the matchups, we're going to be lucky enough to watch then. NC State, if they beat Mississippi State, they're going to roll Furman. That's an easy win. That's a pay game. Clemson's going to be 2-1 and one at that point. They're going to bounce back and blow out some teams. That's what Clemson's going to do. With all due respect to Georgia Tech in a couple of weeks. 
But on September the 25th, the only game I know that's between ranked opponent, ranked opponents, I believe the only game that's on the docket right now that's between ranked teams is Notre Dame at Wisconsin. And that's going to be the Fox pregame show. The big noon kickoff's going to be there leading up to that game in Madison. That's a noon kick. So college game day, when you look at some of the options that are there, I don't think you're going to find a better one than NC State and Clemson, who would both be ranked in the top 25. NC State sixth in receiving votes this past week of the AP poll. I don't think you're going to find a better option than NC State at home with Clemson coming in. Like, tell me some of the bad matchups that are on the slate that week, games that are probably going to be blowouts on September the 25th. Uh, and just in the top 25, Alabama's taking on Southern Miss. Oh, Georgia's goodness. playing Vanderbilt. Ohio oh. State's playing Akron. Oh, God. <laughs> Two of those teams are the worst teams in the country. You've got Alabama going up against Southern Miss. Dear Lord. Who did Georgia play? Who's who's Georgia playing? Vanderbilt? Yeah, they're playing oh. Vanderbilt. Holy bleep. Vanderbilt, I think, lost to East Tennessee State. The fighting Steve Forbes this past weekend. Oh, my gosh. Penn State, Villanova, Iowa, Colorado State, <laughs> Iowa State, Baylor. It's a ton of duds. It's a ton of duds that weekend. Then you've got NC State and Clemson. That's the beacon of light. So what I'm saying to you right now is if ESPN had a lick of sense, and I think they do, they would announce Sunday. That game day is coming to Raleigh, North Carolina on September the 25th when Clemson's in town. Because there's no other option. You know NC State's going to beat Furman. Clemson's going to take care of business till you get to that game. They didn't play last year. They call it the Textile Cup. I think that's what they still call it. The Textile Bowl, excuse me. There's some bad blood between these two. It's Big part of the reason why I don't think NC State has much of a shot to win the game, or I didn't going into the year. But while we're talking about some of the stakes with this game, if State beats Mississippi, if State does take down Mike Leach and the Bulldogs, what was originally written in pen, Clemson over NC State, no questions asked. I might then just code it with, it in pencil. Maybe that's going to be written in pencil. Clemson over State. I'll feel less certain about that pick. Maybe I'll give Clemson or NC State a bit more of a shot. Some of that has to do with the offensive line play for Clemson against the Georgia Bulldogs. Quarterback play, certainly, factoring into that. Will Shipley has some ties to NC State as well. Quite a bit there that are going to add elements to that. But just keep an eye on it. If NC State beats Mississippi State, I don't think it's a stretch to say... College game day likely going to be coming to Raleigh. I have a pain in my ear. And what is causing it? The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. I'm not kidding when I say, out of all the coaches and players that we're lucky enough to cover, this guy might be my favorite. One of my favorite guys on the planet. Ruffin McNeil, special assistant to Dave Doran, NC State football joining us. They're getting set for Mississippi State this weekend. Coach, are you riding your boat time timeout down the Mississippi to get to Starkville? I won't be riding down. <laughs> That's a little bit too far, and then I don't know if I would make it there. You know what I mean? It might take some detours, but uh, no, she's parked for a while until we get some time off. Maybe the off week I'll get a chance to visit her again. I'm only saying this because I know how much you love movies. I've called you before the the state of North Carolina's Forrest Gump because Forrest Gump's known for going everywhere. And for you, you've coached in the mountains at Appalachian State. You went to East Carolina, you played at East Carolina, and now, I mean, you also coached high school football in your hometown of Lubberton. And you're a special assistant to Dave Dorn at NC State. Are you cool with that title? Do you like the movie Forrest Gump? Yeah, well, you know what? Uh, I love 
I love the movie Forrest Gump, and uh, I've watched it a, a ton. Uh, the meaning behind it, seeing Forrest overcome, and uh, I have moved around and, and done a lot of things and worked for some great people, Josh, and and uh, you know, so I've been I've been blessed in this business, just as you and you and I have had a connection for a while now. So it's been a it's been it's been a, a different uh, travel, a different trip, but but each trip has been fantastic. And I've learned along the way. Uh, I believe in lifelong learning, and I'm still learning too, Josh. That's good. Always keep learning. Hope you are doing well. Your pops as well, who you moved back to North Carolina to be closer to, and Earlene are doing all right. Ruffin McNeil joining us here on WSJS Sports. A big reason why I wanted to have you on, I heard Mike Leach talking about you and Brian Mitchell yesterday, and how he's going to be excited to see you, even if it's just for 30 seconds right before the game starts Saturday in Starkville. You, of course, were an assistant coach at Texas Tech alongside guys like Lincoln Riley, who we'll get to in a second, and Dana Holgerson, who was down there at the time. Heck, I think Seth Luttrell was on the staff back then, who's been at North Texas for a little while. But with Mike Leach, you've told me a lot of stories off air. I don't know how many can make it on the air. But what's the funniest, maybe the most bizarre thing you've seen Mike Leach do in a meeting? Well, you know, one thing Mike is is, is very smart. You know, he was an attorney or a lawyer, and then happened to get in coaching, and that's that's he was in Pepperdine Law School and uh, law school and did it. So I, I, he always he's a guy that's on the phone and will carry on a conversation with just about anyone. And uh, we were recruiting one day and on a home visit, going to visit a prospect, and a uh, a guy called the wrong number, called his phone. And Mike's on the phone and just carried a, conversa- a conversation with this person. I don't know who it was, or he didn't know who it was either. And it went on for about 20, 25 minutes. And uh, he didn't know who it was, but they had a conversation going on. That's one of many. But uh, he's very unique. Gary does a great job of building a program, Josh, and he does it in his own way. And, uh, you know, so he believes in what he believes in philosophy-wise and sticks with it. In 10 years, I've, that's the longest I've stayed in one place, was working, working for Mike. And like you mentioned, some of the guys that were on that staff, uh, Dana Hogerson, Sonny, Sonny Dykes was SMU, Bennett Cow, Art Browse was on that staff, uh, David Randall, who's head coach at Baylor, Lincoln, you mentioned, you know, uh, Cliff Kingsbury, a lot of guys on that played or on that staff now that uh, happen to be head coaches or have been. It could be historic uh, if you guys win on Saturday. NC State is favored to win the game, but we'll see what happens Saturday night at 7 o'clock. The last time NC State has won a road game against an SEC team, you have to go back, Coach, to 1977 when NC State won at Auburn. That was before Pat Dye arrived, and the reason I know that is because Pat Dye was coaching at East Carolina, and he had a young DB on his team by the name of Ruffin McNeil going into his sophomore year. <laughs> that brings back memories. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good while ago. They got a good team. Uh, Mike's done a good job. The quarterback's the key, and we've our, our players done a great job this week preparing for it, and it's still just a matter of execution, Josh. You know how it goes, and going to a hostile environment. Uh, we know they'll be playing well and, and uh, with energy and enthusiasm, so we got great to match that and more. You're the first person who decided to give Lincoln Riley a job calling plays, making him the youngest offensive coordinator in the country at ECU in 2010. Back then, did you even have an idea that he had the potential to grow into what he's become? I, I really saw it when we were at Texas Tech, man. He came in as a walk-on quarterback for Mike, and then joined a student, a student assistant, where you make zero, no dollars. There's a dollar sign with zero behind it. And then he moved up to graduate assistant. And then I think when Sonny left, uh, or Dana, he took the full-time spot. And you can see, you can see how he reacted on the field with his players. Josh, you saw him recruiting. And it just happened that he and I recruited together in the same area. I, at that time, I was sort of uh, – I would go all over recruiting and, and place it with Mike. We'd go some spots. But I would join 
coaches to recruit also. So Lincoln and I really hung out a lot on the road together recruiting. And uh, I knew him from a 19-year-old. And, uh, you know, when everything happened at Texas Tech and uh, we found out, named him offensive coordinator that the Alamo Bowl game. And I mentioned this before in some interviews, Josh. It was amazing to hear him call plays. And uh, when uh, we didn't get a chance to stay at Texas Tech, we all were going separate ways. Each time the job came open. And when I found out I had the job, the first call I made was to Lincoln, who was interviewing with Larry Fedora at Southern Miss at that time and uh, David Bailiff at Rice and some other places. And he came the day I called. So, yeah, I, I really did. I knew he had the the, the ability and potential and how he carried himself with the players, communication, and how he coached. So uh, I had no hesitation in naming an offense coordinator. If it wasn't East Carolina, you were going to work for Jim Harbaugh, right? Yeah, I accepted the job at Stanford. And, uh, and, and, and I was heading that way that Thursday, as a matter of fact, before the East Carolina job. And uh, Jim and I had a great visit with – ran in circles there earlier when I was on the West Coast coaching and uh, I was I accepted the job to go work for him and once I told him I had an interview at East Carolina he was all behind and behind me and supportive and and uh, so that was a great uh, interaction there yeah and, Ruffin uh, Lincoln go ahead Josh I'm oh, sorry to interrupt you Ruffin McNeil's with us here NC State special assistant to the coach just so many different ties to great players and great coaches that you have. The three years you were at Oklahoma, three different starting quarterbacks who are all now starting in the National Football League. So I won't call it rapid fire, but in a sentence or two, we'll go through each one. When you think about Baker Mayfield, very quickly, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Extreme leader. Extreme leadership. Um, uh Sacrifice was a walk on that earned it. No, it's looking more in the sentence, but walk on to earn a starting position in Oklahoma, won the Heisman, first person pick. The next year, it was Kyler Murray who became the number one pick after Baker was the number one pick and won the Heisman Trophy as well. Your experience with Kyler Murray? Uh, winner, uh, knew his dad, uh, who played at AM very well, quiet. But a winner won every high school game he played in. Uh, just about every game he started at Oklahoma. Uh, did not surprise me that he went early in the draft because he's that type of winner, and he'll win there. Yeah. Well. And the last one, Jalen Hurts, going from Alabama to Oklahoma, drafted by the Eagles, set the start for Nick Sirianni. What was your experience like with him, real quick? I knew Jalen's dad recruiting while at Texas Tech. His dad's a high school coach, very successful high school, high school coach. And so I knew his dad as well. And when Jalen transferred to Oklahoma, the first thing he found me, and, and uh, his, his dad told him to look me up and find me quickly. And uh, we became extremely close. And I'm still close to all three of those guys right now as we speak. And, but Jalen was uh, – uh, a born leader, coach's kid, Josh, who came in and this first week there had all the receivers, C.D. Lamb, Hollywood, all those guys. He had all those guys in the indoor on their own throwing already, learning the offense from the, I mean, his first week in Norman. That's the kind of guy Jalen is. And you saw what happened to Alabama when he didn't start and, and uh, he had won a championship, didn't start in the championship, SC championship, and then had great composure, great class, and uh, so he was a great, great, great young man to be around. I'll tell you what, Coach, I'll be thinking about you this weekend. I'm being my fiance. I'm taking her to a football game in Greenville for the first time. South Carolina is heading to East Carolina. That's a noon kick, and then we'll be watching you guys at eight o'clock later that night. But it's uh, it's always good to hear your voice. I hope you. Uh, and Papa McNeil's doing well, and uh, best of luck in Starkville on Saturday. Thank you, man. Happy birthday to your dad, too, as well, Josh. Tell him I said that, and you, you have a safe trip to Greenville, and enjoy yourself, and be safe. Yeah, I know he's listening, so he appreciates that. Thanks so much, Coach. Best of luck. Yes, sir. That's... Yes, sir, Josh. Thank you. There he goes. That's Ruffin McNeil.
one of the all-time great guys. And Robert, you were a little concerned. Are we sure Ruff's cool with the, the Forrest Gump of North Carolina label? He seemed to like it because he likes the movie Forrest Gump and a big movie guy. But uh, you were a bit apprehensive on that one. Yeah, I just wouldn't want to be like the Forrest Gump of anything. You were I like, would. You were like, oh, yeah, it's because he's been everywhere. And I was like, that. yeah, that's the first thing I think of when I think of Forrest <laughs> Gump. He's been everywhere, not the, the, the slow talking or like. That's not where I was going at all, but now that you say it, not so great. I, I just wouldn't want to be the Forrest Gump of anything. Can we find out a new movie character that we can make Ruff and McNeil? That everybody likes and has been all over the place? Who dislikes Forrest Gump? Just like who dislikes Ruff and McNeil? Nobody does. No, yeah, nobody. But I also wouldn't want you to be like, hey, Robert is the I Am Sam of Stop. radio producers. Stop. Like, hey, you That's... don't want to do that. Now I feel terrible. It is insane. Everybody is insane. What's going on in there? You're on the drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. The Athletic put out a comprehensive list of the top 100 NFL players ever. And Robert, believe it or not, Jimmy Clausen did not make the cut. There are five active players that did, though. Starting with Rob Gronkowski at number 56. He is slightly ranked behind Tony Gonzalez, who is the highest-ranked tight end on the list at number 46. I would disagree with that. Where, where, do, you, where do you stand on Tony Gonzalez versus Gronk? Tony Gonzalez played more seasons, had the iconic dunk over the goalpost, but Gronk might have been the greatest weapon that the greatest quarterback ever had, and he was the most dominant tight end I've ever seen, the most unstoppable tight end I've ever seen. If we're going to do it off sample size, then yes, Tony Gonzalez did it longer. But if Gail Sayers is going to be on this list and ranked pretty high on it, and Barry Sanders the same way, because their talent was so unmistakable and undeniable. Gronk's winning has to factor into it. His role in that winning, even that low-scoring Super Bowl against the Rams, Brady's final Super Bowl with the New England Patriots. He had that big catch right before they punched in a a touchdown to put that game away. Gronk, I think, should be ranked over Tony Gonzalez. I I don't know. I'm I, I'm on the Tony Gonzalez side. Tony didn't miss a single game due to injury. Uh, aside His entire from, career, aside wow. from one game, he missed one game in 2006. He has over 100 touchdowns. Gronk has 86. He has over uh, 15,000 yards. Gronk doesn't even have 10,000. I know the rings are a part of it, but if we're talking about talent, Tony did it from 97 to 2013. Yeah, the durability, the sample size, you're right. I just think at their best, Gronk was better than Gonzalez, but we're parsing at that point. J.J. Watt, he's at number 35. I have no issue with J.J. being there. In recent years, he's been more banged up. He hasn't done a heck of a lot of winning in Houston, but that's more on Houston than it is on J.J. Aaron Donald, the second highest-ranked defensive tackle in the history of the sport. Robert, I've heard people say crazy things about Aaron the last few years. Hey, this guy might be the best guy to ever do it. He might be the most talented player pound for pound in the league. I don't want to slight him. But it is crazy to say, how many years has Aaron Donald been in the league? It's not a small number. It's certainly not Tony Gonzalez's sample. But, uh... The only defensive tackle in the history of football over 100 years is Mean Joe Green? Are we sure we're at that point with Aaron Donald is all I would ask. Maybe the answer to the question is yes, but I'm asking the question. Yeah, I, I'm on this. I agree with where they placed him at. The dude's won Defensive Player of the Year three times. He won Defensive Rookie of the Year his rookie year. He's got the numbers to back it up. He's probably the, one of the most dominant players at the position, despite being undersized. Okay. 
Aaron Donald, Pitt, ACC legend, 24th best player Do in you the history know of the NFL. Do you know his lowest sack total? What's that? Any year. What's the lowest number of sacks he's ever gotten? What's that? Eight. He that's has never had less than eight sacks that's, in a single year at a defensive tackle. Not an edge rusher, not not someone who's a defensive end or an outside linebacker. He comes from the exact middle of the line. That is coconuts. I'm going to go to Cole on this one. Aaron Rodgers, active 21st on the list, one spot ahead of Brett Favre. Rodgers over Favre, well in front of Bart Starr. Do you have a problem with this? Uh, no, I don't have a problem with it. I think Brett Favre is a lot more liked, obviously, than Rodgers is. But I think Rodgers is better, like, just physically as a quarterback than Brett Favre was. And, like, I think, and, and mentally. I think, I don't know about mentally. Well, look at but all the I think, interceptions Brett Favre had. That's true. I get what you're saying. But I, I probably agree with you. I think Rodgers is slightly better, but you're a Packer fan, so I figured I'd ask you on that. And the last of the five active players that's on this top 100 list that The Athletic put out, and it includes all of the old-timers, it's comprehensive. It's the number one player on the list. It's Tom Brady. And it had to be him. I think when he leaves the game, we're going to miss him greatly. I don't think people realize how much we're going to miss Tom Brady. The fact that the most watched form of entertainment that we have each year is the Super Bowl. And this guy has played in that game double-digit times. That guy has played in it ten times. You, you know... Casual football fans, people that aren't even football fans but watch the Super Bowl, they know Tom Brady, they know his story because they've seen it. If that's the only football game you watch each year, you've watched 10 football games that Tom Brady has played. And kind of like with LeBron, you don't replace LeBron. Not going to be another LeBron. Just like there hasn't been another Michael Jordan. I don't know if you're going to get another Tom Brady. It's unbelievable. This order, any issues with... Do we have the distinct voice that gets paid by the word to do the, the the countdown from five that we can do? Actually, I have misplaced that, and I have absolutely no idea where it is. Yeah, this guy, he gets paid by the word, and he has kids to, pay, kids to feed. So I just figure I'll throw him a bone here. Number five. Reggie White. Number four. L- Lawrence Taylor. Who? is going to be in Chapel Hill for the football game on Saturday. He's making the return. No, he's at number four. Number three. Jerry Rice is at number three. Love that. Former teammate in college of NCANT's head coach, Sam Washington. Number two. Jim Brown. Crazy to think, Robert. Do you know what his career average was at running back? It's the highest in NFL history, rushing yards per game. He's five ahead of five yards ahead of whoever's in second place. No, so not yards per carry, yards per game. Yards per game. Uh, I don't know, like one twenty. One oh four. Only guy to be over one hundred yards per game. And real quick, voice number one. It's Tom, and that is the Athletics' top 100 players of all time. Speaking of what's happening in Chapel Hill, it's not all football today. We caught up with our show's favorite Tar Heel, Armando Baycott, about three hours or so ago. Armando! And aside from that sounder, and that he talks in great sound bites, really just an entertaining guy, He's someone that really fascinates me from a basketball perspective this year because I anticipate Armando's going to make a huge leap in Hubert Davis's first season. Can I, I do say like that, a couple of these, like just like rollover minutes, like just be like Armando. That's six. That gives me six. Thank you. I say that acknowledging that he led the team in scoring and rebounding last year. For him. It almost feels like the last two years have been building to this season. 
And this is what I mean by it. Roy Williams, one of his biggest selling points, and now Hubert's, is the Carolina experience. What it's like to play in that program and interact with former players, and that's what they talk about. It's the Carolina way, the experience, all of that. Carolina family. Well, Roy felt bad because last year, the freshman, like Dayron Sharp, who grew up a Tar Heel fan, ended up a first-round draft pick, didn't get that experience during a pandemic. Armando, before the pandemic year, was a part of Roy Williams' worst team as a college coach. Those are the two years that Armando's had thus far. So he hasn't really gotten the Carolina experience in that way. So I pitched it that way to Armando a few hours ago to see if he agreed with that, and he did. Like you said, the first year was rough, and then last year was no fans. So I never really got an opportunity to see fans at, like, tournament games or even kind of the deep push we made in the ACC tournament. So I haven't really got that chance to, you know, get the full feel. He wasn't hidden last year. Like I said, leading scorer, leading rebounder. But I don't feel like he got the credit he deserved because Dayron was flashier coming off the bench, and he was the first-round talent. Walker Kessler came on late, and that was exciting to watch as a five-star player. Garrison was the ACC's preseason player of the year, which was laughable then, even more laughable as the season went on. He was the elder statesman, not Armando, but not this year. This is, he is the vet. He's the leading scorer. He's the leading rebounder from last year. I get that they're bringing in Dawson Garcia and Brady Manick. That's all good and well, but this is Armando Baycott's team. He and Caleb Love will make this team go. I think Kerwin will get help shooting the basketball from one of these two wings that they're bringing in in the recruiting class, from Caleb Love, from R.J. Davis. They're going to get some support there, and certainly from Garcia and Manic, who attempted a lot of threes. What Armando has that nobody else does, it's a back-to-the-basket presence, traditional scoring, like we've seen with Carolina basketball for a very long time. I'd be fascinated to know if his role's going to change, if... Hubert's going to have him playing beyond the perimeter. I honestly don't know. His role might change more than anybody else's. We'll see. But he has a skill set, and Caleb Love has a skill set, unlike anybody else on this team. And thus, though the most important players on this roster, I think Armando Baycott, Robert, that's beyond six, is going to make a leap in Hubert's first season. I don't say that lightly, but I think that's what's going to happen. We're going to be here a while. Would you like to talk? Talk to me! You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Culture Shot with our intern Cole coming up in about five minutes. Before we get to that, though, Josh Allen is taking a stand for Sam Darnold. He says he knows Sam Darnold can be a franchise quarterback. They've spent a lot of time together the last four years. Both are from California, both top ten picks. They work out together during the offseason. And Joe Person got up with Josh Allen earlier in the week talking to him about Sam. And some of these quotes really do stand out. Take this one, for example. He was asked, whether or not he can be an elite NFL quarterback, somebody to replace Teddy Bridgewater and become a franchise guy. And he said, I don't think he can be. I know that he can be. I have so much faith in what he's going to do. He went further and said, again, talking about the franchise quarterback conversation, the the conversations I've had with him, he feels so comfortable. I don't think... That's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. If I was a betting man, I'd put a lot of money on it actually happening that way. That's Josh Allen standing up for Darnold. He said he he throws the prettiest spiral that he's ever seen. A ton of other things in that story that we can get to in a little bit. But Allen would know what it's like to be doubted and be able to turn it around. He was called the bust. After he threw nine touchdowns to 11 interceptions after his rookie season, 
Then at the age of 24, I believe, Josh Allen had a good second year, and he was great in his third season. Darnold's now 24 years old. He's coming off 10 touchdowns and 12 picks. Both quarterbacks in their when they struggled, throw through a little bit more than 2,200 yards on the year. Allen, he knows what it's like to be doubted and turn it around. He thinks Darnold's going to do the same thing. And Robert, he also says that Sam Darnold is a natural at most sports. Apparently a very good golfer. He was a three-sport athlete in high school. One time, he even... Pinched him with his sister to be like a duo in volleyball to place in a tournament, a co-ed tournament, and apparently he's a pretty damn good shooter in basketball. So much so, out there on the West Coast, they were working out one time with Clay Thompson. And the way that it was described by Josh Allen was, Clay Thompson was shooting some shots, and then we all kind of played a shooting game. And Darnold went toe for toe with him. I'm being dead serious. I think Clay might have edged him out at one point, but Sam is a lethal sharpshooter. He's unbelievable. Could Josh Allen be more pro Sam Darnold if he tried? Yeah, he could be a franchise quarterback. I don't just think that. I know that. And I would bet a lot of money on it. And not just football he's good at. He went toe-to-toe with, uh, with with Clay Thompson in basketball, too. And if he wasn't already dating someone, I would say he should take my sister out on a date. He's probably the best line dancer I've ever seen. He makes a mean brisket. And he once performed open-heart surgery on my uncle's dog. <laughs> It is a bit much. From- it's so much. He beat Clay Thompson. Like, I don't care about any of this. He's a very good volleyball player. You should see him play pickleball. And twiddle thumbs, he can't be beat. How is he on the football field? Like, if you're a professional player being asked about another professional player, what was he supposed to say? Not, I think the guy's adult. Did you hear what he said when they played the Patriots? I think right. he should look into being a Ghostbuster. I think you're right to a degree. There are ways he's not going to say anything negative about his friend. He's not going to do that. But he went very far. We're talking about doing too much. He decided, an all-pro quarterback decided he was going to do too much for Darnold, including taking that interview altogether, wanting to talk about Sam. Before we get to Culture Shot, we got some news. The University of Cincinnati has submitted a Big 12 conference application. It's 2015-2016 all over again. How long before East Carolina does this? How long before every school in the American Athletic Conference does this? Is every team going to follow suit, or is this going to be, hey, you should apply, and wink, wink, we're going to accept your application, Cincinnati? Last week, when ESPN was reporting the details about Big 12 expansion, Cincinnati was one of the four teams that were seen to be leaders in the clubhouse, but they were not the leading frontrunner. BYU was. Trying to think who I'm forgetting about here. It was BYU, Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston. Those are the four that the Big 12, I think, wants most for expansion to get back to 12 and actually be the Big 12 once Texas and Oklahoma leave. So the University of Cincinnati, they have officially submitted an application to join the Big 12. The Big 12 isn't going to fold. How about that? Let's play Culture Shock. If you're unfamiliar with the game, Cole is 20 and he is proud sometimes of his ignorance. Like not knowing who Britney Spears was and not wanting to learn who Britney Spears was. So we created a segment out of this where we figure out just how much our nerdy intern Cole that we all love knows about pop culture, things from even 10, 15, or even 20 years ago. 
And how it works, we'll pitch three facts at Cole, and he's just got to tell us which of the three facts is a lie. It's essentially two truths and a lie. Cole, what's your record now? Last week, you really cleaned up. Uh, yeah, last week I went three for three, so that pushed me up to 13 and 16. So another three for three today, I can go up to 500 on my record. Cole has a lot on the line here. Robert, you want to give us uh, get us started? Cole, I know you're a huge Marvel fan. I figured you would probably also dabble in the Star Wars universe, so I pulled a Star Wars category for you here. Tell me which one of these is a lie. Uh, the guy that voiced Yoda also voiced Miss Piggy. Jamie Lee Curtis. Are you familiar with Jamie Lee Curtis? Yeah. Uh, Halloween. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Freaky Lindsay, Friday. Uh, Freaky Friday. She was offered the role of Princess Leia. And the phrase, I have a bad feeling about this, appears in all of the original Star Wars movies. Which one of those is a lie? Do you even remember that phrase being said? I know Han says it once. I know Luke says it. Do you know which ones are the original Star Wars? Yeah, the original three are like the Darth Vader ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Return of the Jedi. Then they did the prequels. Uh, I can't even remember the other two. Uh, Revenge of the Sith. A New Hope. There you go. No, your Revenge of the Sith is with the the second part uh, part trilogy. Anyway, which one of those is alive? Jamie Lee Curtis uh, almost played Princess Leia. Uh, the phrase, I have a bad feeling about this, appears in all of the original trilogy. And the guy who voiced Yoda also voiced Miss Piggy. Uh, I'm going to say that the phrase did not appear in all three. It appeared in two. One by Luke, one by Han. Oh. Jamie Lee Curtis was never offered yeah. the role of uh, Princess Leia. I, I, yeah. I knew I that first one was too specific to be. Well, she was she was around that age. Uh, she just turned it down. She she said she had no interest in any Star Wars films, no nothing. Hmm. Uh, and she was really big friends with uh, the one person that played Princess Leia. I her name escapes me right now. Though. Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher. There you go. You knew that. Yeah, that's you impressive. Kn- well done, Cole. Even though you got that one wrong, you did not get the bonus point here. Did you see last night, Robert? Steve from Blues Clues make an appearance. 25 years of Blues Clues and Steve returning from college. I did. I felt bad for him, man. He's had a, he's put up with a lot of stuff over this the, the 25 years he's been gone. He really has. And it was cool to see him back. I appreciated that. Making some adults cry. That's good stuff. But uh, Kids TV had me thinking about somebody else who was pretty important in the 90s and before, Mr. Rogers. Do you know who Mr. Rogers is, Cole? Yeah, I know who Mr. Rogers is. I figured you might have a shot because the Tom Hanks movie came out a couple years ago. A really good documentary was done on Mr. Rogers. So here are three facts. Mr. Rogers single-handedly saved PBS with the popularity of his show and an impassioned speech he made to Congress to defend funding of PBS, which, of course, is publicly owned uh, broadcasting network. Eddie Murphy parodied Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood with an SNL recurring segment called Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood. Or, prior to getting into television... Mr. Rogers served in World War II as a trained sniper for the U.S. Navy SEALs. Which of those is a lie? Um, okay, I think the first one's true. Saved PBS. Have you, do you know a lot about SNL? Do you know a lot about Not like the... too much. Like, as, as in, like, I don't know if there'd be a parody of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood on SNL. I'm going to save that. I might use SNL next <laughs> week. Yeah, I've watched, like, a couple of them. Like, I don't watch them on a regular occurrence by any means. Um, so I'm going to say that, you know what? They could have done a parody of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. So I'm going to say he was not a sniper. Uh, what did you say it was, Josh? 
he was a trained sniper in the Navy SEALs. You're yeah. saying that's not true? Yeah, I'm saying that's incorrect. That's the false. You are correct. There we go. That is a popular rumor that existed, including that he has a ton of tattoos underneath his sweater. Don't know where that came from. Early internet rumor circling, but all the other things are true. That is a lie. Robert, one more for Cole. Uh, okay, so I want to do popular TV shows. I didn't give you an athlete this week. I apologize for that. But uh, I was going to go to another popular 90s TV show in Friends. You know anything about Friends? I know it's kind of like this cult following at this point. But have you ever watched the show before? I've never watched it. I know I'm going to get some heat for it because I know everyone is obsessed with it. I am not. I am not. Yeah, I, we do not think it's that good How We Met show. Your Mother... Seinfeld, both better shows, uh, in my opinion. I don't know about all that, but I do think it's like a C-minus show. But anyway, I, I, pretty simple, pretty straightforward. If you've seen the show, you know the answer to this. Uh, but you haven't seen it, so you're sh- shooting in the dark here. Uh, Ross was a paleontologist. Joey was a financial consultant. And Phoebe was a masseuse. Which one of these is the lie? So this is their, like... Occupation, like correct, correct, correct. These are all okay. people that are in the show, main characters. All right. Um, heard of Joey, heard of Phoebe, and the first one was uh, Ross, Ross was a paleontologist. That's who dates uh, Jennifer Aniston's yeah. character. Okay, so they're all three are actual characters. You're not stuffing me here. No, no, no. They are. Those they're, are all they, actual. They're characters. Definitely all characters. Um, let's go with Joey. Is being the incorrect. Yeah, look at you! A shot in the dark. Yeah, the dude's never seen it before. <laughs> there you go. But he knows that Joey is not quite the brightest guy. Joey was an actor, oh. uh, so he he's always the guy that was like making the dumb comments, making the dumb jokes. But he uh-huh. was like the lovable, goofy guy. But good job there. You cranked it out, man. Yeah, not bad, not bad. So Cole's record now is at 15 and 17. He will have a chance to get above 500 next week in Culture Shock. 